Okay. Well, as the children get brave to go back and prepare to sing with Josh, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 5. Last week, if you were here, we started a series called the Beatitudes, and today we're into our second week. Last week, we observed in chapter 5, verse 1, that a multitude, a crowd of people, are following Jesus. It's primarily those at the end of chapter 4 described as the ones where he had healed their assorted diseases and infirmities. But after the crowd followed him and followed him to the Mount of Olives, we noticed that he sat, which was a position of authority, and they began to teach and speak to the crowd and also to his disciples. And he began. And he began then with the eight different Beatitudes and said, Blessed, in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So that's one of eight. But one of nine times with the word blessed is appearing repetitiously throughout the Beatitudes. And we talked about how blessed is a key word throughout all the Beatitudes. We said this the Greek word makarios, which means happy or fortunate. And then we said we could reword that first particular Beatitude, say blessed, happy, fortunate, or the poor in spirit, for there's the kingdom of, of heaven. But then we expanded and dwelt down a little closer and narrowed in on one particular phrase that may be most important other than the word blessed in the first beatitude, and that is the phrase poor in spirit. And maybe even within the phrase poor in spirit, most importantly, to narrow down on that word poor. Because normally poor in our definition, in our application, it's people who don't have as much or maybe economically disadvantaged. But that's not what it's referring to in the poor in spirit. But rather, poor is talking about those people, which should be us, that in our time of need, we turn to God for help. And it's not just once and done we turn to God for help, but for those like us who turn repetitiously to God for help and know that we can depend on God for the help that we need. Again, that should be every one of us. We should turn to God for help when we need it. Because God is always there. He never rests. He's always there 24-7 for all of us. And we can depend on Him. We should go to God in moments of decision, in moments of obstacles, a dilemma, a challenge of some kind, whatever it occurs in our lives. But the self-examining question we had last week as we looked at this first beatitude and redefine poor for our understanding of what it means in the poor in spirit, the question we ask ourselves is, do we? Do we depend on God? Do we truly go to Him for help? Are we totally dependent upon God to help us? When it comes to things in life like changing jobs, or getting engaged, or married, or having children, or having some sort of treatments, or having some sort of surgery, because we found that research shows that we typically do not go to God. The Pew Research Center, last week we called upon the Pew Research Center and found that when it comes to where Americans place their trust as they gather information before making an important decision, a big majority, 81% in fact, say they rely a lot on their own research. Many more say they rely on friends or family or professional experts. So with that finding, it reveals for us that we a lot of times, quite often, rely on ourselves or from friends and family or professionals. But the first beatitude to 
as we looked upon it last week and began to examine it and begin to apply it, said we need, it reminded us that we need to be poor in spirit and rely completely on God rather than self. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So when with the first beatitude last week expanded upon and applied, today we turn to the second and to the third. But before we read the Beatitudes again, then subsequently begin to explain and apply, let us state again the theme of our series when it comes to the Beatitudes. Remember we said last week, recall today then, that the Beatitudes are a map of life, a series of directives helping us on our journey with God. Now, as a map of life and a series of directives to help us on a journey with God, it is wise certainly to review the Beatitudes. Because if that's how we can receive the Beatitudes, it is very wise to receive and, and examine those and likewise apply those in the beginning of a new year. When everything is beginning to be new for us, 15 days into this year, we still perhaps want to make some changes. So it's good then to have the word to be dissected, a particular section of it to apply to our lives in case we still need to make some changes in 2023 to make us a better year than last year or maybe even more successful than we thought of 2022. So that's the intent of the series to help us as we begin this new year. Well, let us begin again this morning then by going back to the Word. It's chapter 5 in Matthew. It's the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount is chapters 5, 6, and 7. So stand with me this morning as we read just a very small portion of the Sermon on the Mount. Again, we're in Matthew chapter 5. We're only going to read the first 12 verses, which really pertains to just the Beatitudes. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, again says this. Seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on a mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecute the prophets who were before you. Father, we do come before you this morning, Lord, just asking that this message today as we get into the Beatitudes will speak as much to us this week as it did last. Lord, today we dig deeper into the Beatitudes, and we, we pray, Lord, for wisdom. We pray for understanding. But, Lord, I pray also then that the words would be said to here today be words that you want us to hear so we can apply what we're learning to our lives. So lead and guide and direct, Lord, all of us today. Let us open our hearts to really let the Spirit just lead and, and receive this message today and see how it truly applies to our lives as we live in modern day. Thank you, Lord, for what shall happen here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Well, again, having already looked at verse 3 and dissected it last week with the poor in spirit for those of the kingdom of heaven, we're going to leap immediately back now into the text, into uh, chapter 5 and verse 4. Verse 4 again says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now you look at that verse and you see that particular beatitude, the second of eight, and maybe you're like me and you say, well, what can we say then about this second beatitude? Because you look at it on the surface, it seems nearly self-explanatory. Like for those who mourn, which is going to be all of us at a point in our life, they shall be comforted. So it sounds easy enough. It sounds quite simple. But yet, let us expand upon it this morning, and let us expand upon it with starting with the words, those who mourn. Now, in our understanding, mourn, of course, refers to those who grieve and lament or have sorrow with the loss of a loved one, a special companion, or whatever. But rather interestingly, I have a devotion book in my office that says this, the phrase, those who mourn, embraces so much more. Worry about backsliding from the living God, being superficial in serving him, a lack of godly fruit, hesitating and believing his holy will our obsession with earthly possessions, and more. So in our daily lives that we live, we should be concerned with with what we learn in this devotion with a particular comment. It it reminds us that we should be concerned about these occurring things like the backsliding, the insincerity in serving God, the lack of fruit, and so much more. We should be concerned about these things in our lives. But we tend not to associate them with those who mourn. I mean, as mentioned, our typical view of those who mourn are often those who are grieving with the loss of a loved one. And that is certainly the case. We're not trying to diminish the loss of a loved one or the mourning, the grieving happens from it, whatever. Because all of us are going to mourn when we lose someone who is no longer with us. But we really begin to dissect the phrase, those who mourn, and dissect that explanation from that, then the expression, it contains so much more than a common understanding of experiencing simply a loss. I mean, when you really stop and think about it, there is a lot of people in this world today who are hiding some kind of sorrow and are having mourning and grieving from the sorrow, but yet sometimes people don't know it because we try our best to hide it from others. And as best as people sometimes hide that from others, like Sheila mentioned to children, God still knows. I mean, it might be possible to hide some things in our life that may cause us some grief or some sorrow or some sadness. We might can keep that from some people near us. But we can never keep that from God. We can never keep that from Jesus. I mean, Jesus knows our pain. He knows our sadness. He knows our sorrow. He knows our mourning. I mean, it's good to have a Savior that actually live on earth to know what it is like to have sadness and mourning and grieving. I mean, when Jesus lost his friend Lazarus, John eleven thirty five 35 says two words. Jesus wept. So we, we have a Savior who knows what it's like to experience loss and to have mourning and grieving. But we also know then that Jesus, who he is, is fully man but fully God. He knows those who mourn. From things like the pain of addiction, 
that is ruining lives. He knows things like the mourning and lamenting that occurs of the sadness of a broken marriage. He knows of the heartache of parents who have disobedient children. He knows the pain experienced by parents when a financial setback can lead to bankruptcy. He knows all these things, all these situations, many more that cause someone to lament, to suffer, to have sadness, to have sorrow. And in these moments, quite often, the person who's having this time of sorrow and suffering for whatever it may be cannot confide in someone. Because unfortunately, our society views them as shameful or disgraceful or even appalling. So they can't confide in anybody to find the compassion and comfort they're seeking. But Jesus, full of love and compassion, and knowing felt full well the hurt in their lives, gives all these different people together, whoever's having any kind of suffering and sadness and sorrow and mourning, he groups all of them together and says, you're among those who mourn. And states then that you shall be comforted. I, I processed that in my mind, even as I was preparing last week, and I'm thinking, like the old hymn, what a friend we have in Jesus. I mean, Jesus wants you to be comforted. And if you find yourselves sorrowful, grieving, distressed over things like an addiction or finances, relationship issues, rebellious children, abusive parents, whatever makes you mourn, Jesus says in this first beatitude, he says, blessed, happy, fortunate are those who mourn are you. For you shall be comforted. And I truly hope that helps you this morning. Because we are still in mourning and grieving. I can't time these things this way. It's only by God can message be timed. But I realize this is a week that we lost Ray. And Nick, brother, I know it's been a hard year for you. Can't even imagine the pain you've had. But we look upon this verse and we see the things that happened in 2022 and the horrible pain and tragedy that it was and we find then that we still can be comforted. I mean, all of us together can love on Nick, Jackson, Declan, Tucker, and, and help them in their time of lament and sadness and sorrow. But we'll always fall short. The one who can truly help them and give them all the comfort they really they need is God. It's Jesus. And, and the scripture we look at today just happens to remind us that when you're in that time of sadness and mourning, and we're still experiencing that. That was a great loss for all of us, for the church, and certainly for Nick and his family, yes. But we still can find comfort. Because God will provide that. So whatever is causing any of us to have mourning and sadness and sorrow, Jesus is there to comfort you. So while then that is true, I mean, Jesus truly comforts every aching heart, every grieving, mourning heart. Jesus comforts you. Well, that is completely, totally true. As what the text is telling us, I would be amiss 
if I just stopped there. And I'd be amiss if I didn't say that the greatest then of all human sorrow is born from our sin. Begin to process that a little bit because it's kind of changing direction a little bit of what we're finding here in the text. The greatest of all human sorrow is born from our sin. We tend not to think of that. That our sin causing sorrow, but it does. I mean, for the individual and even for those around us, for those surrounding us, our sin can cause sorrow or cause mourning and grieving for someone. So the greatest of human sorrow is born from our sin. The commentary I was reading last week from Robert Mounts observes, blessed also are those who mourn, but he says, who are filled with deep regret for their own waywardness and for the evil so prevalent in the world. Those who mourn are not simply those who have gone through difficult times, but those who understand that all the suffering in the world stems from the sinful and self-destructive human tendency to act as if God did not exist. I mean, you could take what Mounts writes in his comment and, and rephrase that, reword that with the truth we're saying here, that the greatest of all human sorrow is born from our sin. That is the case of sadness and sorrow in this world. Perhaps even the root cause of sadness and sorrow in this world and of mourning and grieving for folks. But fortunately, Christ brings comfort to everyone, to all people who have learned through grace that he triumphs over sin. I mean, Jesus carried our sin on his shoulders. He hung on that cross and became our Savior. That particular truth points to the fact that he promises. Jesus promised through the agonizing pain he had that he will comfort those who mourn because he holds us in his hand. We have a mediator who not only died on the cross, but was raised from the dead and ascended into heaven. So because he's as powerful as he is, he can comfort every aching heart that cries out to him. He will not leave anyone behind to feel abandoned or to feel depressed. He will not leave to feel alone in your time of grieving and mourning. When we desperately cry out to Jesus, he will hear our cry and he will comfort. The second beatitude of the eight, blessed are those who mourn for whatever reason, for you shall be comforted. And with that second beatitude, we could probably expand even more and elaborate. But for the sake of time, we'll transition into the third. Again, the third beatitude, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This particular beatitude is maybe not quite as easy to unpack as the second beatitude, because it, it has a couple expressions that we need to expand upon and maybe need a little bit of explaining, such as meek. We ask ourselves, what does it mean to be meek? Well, to be described as meek means that you're quiet or gentle, submissive, easily imposed upon. Which, by the way, then are often in our society viewed as signs of weakness. Leroy Lawson correctly states the disciples of Christ, which should be every one of us, are often tempted to skip this beatitude because they hold weakness and contempt. 
However, for the record, meekness and weakness are not the same. Jesus' meekness that he had that he exemplified in life must not be confused with weakness. John Corson, in his application commentary on Matthew, particularly Sermon on the Mount, he says, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength under control. Prowls, the Greek word translated meek, is a term used to describe a powerful stallion, broken and able to be ridden. What's an interesting outlook? That's an interesting comment from Corson because it, it tells it, it kind of puts meekness in a different perspective and really kind of rids that defining moment we have to associate meekness with weakness. Another application from Mary. Mary Merriam-Webster simply says a person described as meek as one having or showing a quiet and gentle nature. Simply a quiet and gentle nature is meekness. Which really describes Jesus. I mean, yeah, you say Jesus did get angry. Yeah, he got upset. When those money-hungry villains were outside the outer court, he overturned the tables when they were changing all the money. When he saw all that happening, yes, he got angry. And yes, he got upset. But the general character of Jesus as we know him is one who is quiet and gentle in nature. He personifies meekness. A soul, a spirit who is simply quiet and gentle in nature. But we learn that should be all of us. Notably, Paul in his letter to the church of Ephesus, he encouraged all believers to meekness when he said in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. In those particular verses, as Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus, he simply is encouraging meekness. So it should stand the reason then that we as Christians, as we receive his letter and apply it to our lives as well, that we all should be growing in meekness as we mature in our spiritual lives. Or stated a different way, someone who knows Christ as personal Savior, which I hope is all of us, as Christians, believers, we should be growing in meekness. Which seems absurd to say, which is completely counterculture to any teaching we have. But that's what we should be doing. We should become more gentle in nature as we grow spiritually. And we also need to exemplify Christ. Meekness models the humility of Jesus Christ. One of the commentaries I was reading said, Jesus carried out his messianic ministry, not as a zealot intent on establishing by force a political kingdom, but as one who lived a life of humble and sacrificial service to God and his fellow human beings. This is the meekness to which Jesus calls his followers. So it tells us, even in the comment, even what Paul's writing to the church, you can dissect it, even what it tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, we should be having and growing in a gentle spirit and nature, or meekness. And maybe then Paul, as he looks upon meekness in general, describes it best in Philippians chapter 2, particularly for our Lord, he said Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, made himself of no reputation, 
and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That is humility. The act of our Lord is certainly humble. It's humility, it's gentleness, it's long-suffering. It is certainly submissive disposition. And we can look upon it saying, yes, that is even meekness. That is Jesus, that is love. Blessed are the meek, those gentle in nature, as we should be. And for they shall inherit the earth. And maybe we could stop there, and that might be enough. But we have to go back to at least one more time because the other phrase to maybe explain here with the second or third beatitude is they shall inherit the earth. I mean, who wants to inherit the earth? I mean, all of us, as we live our lives as Christians, as followers of believers, we know we're not here to inherit the earth. We're here maybe to do things while we're on the earth to obtain eternal happiness with our Lord. We're ready to get to heaven. But we need not forget the time while we're on earth. Meaning that this particular beatitude has to do with our happiness, our state of being, our being blessed in our current lives as Christians as we live them out on planet earth. So the phrase inherit inherit the earth pertains to how we should be living on the earth. And that's somehow confusing. Let me refer to Mounts once more. He says, it is the meek who will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. Those of a gentle spirit. Not, listen, it is not, he says, the grasping and the greedy receive from life its most satisfying rewards. He said, the aggressive are unable to enjoy their ill-gotten gains. Then he says, only the meek have the capacity to enjoy in life all those things that provide genuine and lasting satisfaction. It's how we should be living on the earth. It's that way of us receiving happiness and peace. The meek shall inherit the earth, peace and happiness while we're here. It's the meek, the people gentle in nature, submissive, that shall receive the happiness and the peace, inherit the earth, so to speak. It's the meek. It is not those who are grasping and greedy. It is not those aggressive. I mean, have you ever noticed in life that those uptight, aggressive, money-hungry, career-focused individuals who believe that survival of the fittest is their motto are not ultimately happy people? I mean, they live with one single focus on life. And that is self. Self Self-assertion, self-survival, self-happiness, self-image, all about self. Which means then they crowd out anything outside of themselves. They live to make themselves and their interests and their lives the first and only priority. And without judging, most likely they deny God and his omnipotence in the process. Because they Mentality is, I can do it myself. I don't need anyone else. I can do it myself. I am alone in this world. I must look out for myself. I alone can do it. 
but they're really miserable people. Leaning solely upon themselves and nothing or nobody else. They see no need for God or any of his blessings. But they're really missing out on life's most important matters. They're missing out on the best blessings in life from God because they do not realize they even need God. And God blesses those who know they need him. Receiving a blessing from God is like making your heart realize it is completely empty and void. It is coming before the Almighty God in a genuine spirit of humility and just opening yourself up to receive His love, which is the greatest blessing for any of us. And God blesses those who have accepted His Son and then those who become like His Son, who are meek, who are mild, who encourages others, those who bear the fruit of the Spirit. As Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit being the love, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Did you ever notice the word meekness is in fruit of the Spirit? For they shall inherit the earth. Meekness means that we shall as we live a gentle, quiet nature, submissive to our Lord. We shall inherit the earth and have peace and blessings and happiness. This morning, the second and third beatitude is what we focus upon. The second beatitude, blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are they that cry out sadness. Blessed are they that have hurt and heartache, sorrow and pain, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are then the third beatitude, the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. For his mouth rewards in his definition. Blessed are the meek who will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. If there's anything that you need to change about this year, maybe it's that we need to be more gentle in nature. Maybe you need to seek God and receive the comfort that he can provide. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's the second and the third beatitude. My prayer is that you incorporate them into your lives this year. Father, Lord, we thank you for the word here this morning as it begins to point us towards more understanding of what we refer to and call the beatitudes. And how then, Lord, we can maybe make a change in life and perhaps even receive more blessings than we even received in our life from you. Lord, today we ponder and we reflect upon these beatitudes. We're only not even halfway in your Lord yet to what we can talk about, receive pertaining to the beatitudes, the blessings from. But Lord, as we reflect upon the first three that we've mentioned here this morning or from last week, let's begin to truly apply them. Apply them to our lives. And if we need to make some change about ourselves this week, this year, let us do so today. Let us not wait another hour, not another minute, Lord, to make a change. Let us make that change today. And Lord, I'm thinking that even as we get ready to make that change, maybe we need to somehow commit ourselves to you. 
and maybe the way today we need to commit ourselves to you by making the change in life or becoming more blessed even though we are now is to have the Lord's Supper. Let us die and commune with you today, Lord. We thank you for the blessings you give us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.